boy's got utter belief in him. And somehow she's found the acceleration. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. It's one of our favorite weeks of the entire year. The NCAA Cross Country Championships are on Saturday. We will have boots on the ground in Stillwater, Oklahoma, starting on Thursday. We'll have a ton of coverage on the site previewing both the men's and women's races. We also have our traditional Let's Run.com prediction contest, so be sure to check back on the site all week. Enter the contest, Let's Run.com win fabulous prizes it's totally free to enter we'll talk about the meet on this week's episode caitlin tui and parker valby their titanic showdown in the women's individual race who comes out on top we'll talk about the wide open men's individual race and then we'll talk about the team races can nc state repeat on the women's side and can the stanford men and 18 year title drought on the team for their team title hopes Plus, we've got some good news for U.S. distance fans as America has a new distance star you've never heard of and Molly Seidel has finished a race for the first time since February. But we've also got some bad news. Seidel's half marathon time in Boston was over 76 minutes, should we be concerned. And bad news for the likes of Connor Mann, Scott Farble, and any other potential U.S. Olympian as their U.S. Olympic spots chances for 2024 may have just gone down. Plus, women's tennis icon Martina Navratilova has given a shout-out to Rojo on her Twitter feed. And who should win World Athletics Athlete of the Year awards? The finalists just were announced this week. We'll make our picks for that as well. This is Jonathan Gold. I am joined by my co-hosts and the co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robin and Weldon Johnson. Guys, happy NCAA week and happy World Cup week. It's a great week to be a sports fan in the United States. 10 days till the greatest day in American modern soccer in history. That's all I'm going to say. It's weird that you pre- you'd say that a defeat to England would be the greatest day in American soccer history, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, happy you're excited for that, Weldon. Robert, how about you? Are you ex- what are you more excited for, the World Cup or NCAA cross country? Can I say neither? I'm, I'm just waiting for my Ravens to return from the bye. Not having them this weekend was tough, but my wife's, my wife's guardians... Have knocked off the Eagles. The Guardians, the baseball team? Commanders? What's the bogus name they have in Washington now? Yeah, Commanders. I may boycott the World Cup. I'm really upset that my boy Pepe was not named to the U.S. squad. Pretty excited for you. Oh, I was extremely excited to go to, to NCAA cross country. I've never been to Oklahoma State. They have an amazing course. It's returned home to me. My first job out of college was in Oklahoma City, where I worked with the likes of Venus and Serena Williams in professional women's tennis. I was going to see some family friends, take John to the Cowboy Hall of Fame, Oklahoma City Bombing Museum. In case you ever make it out in jeopardy, John, I think that's probably a weak spot for you coastal elites, the middle of the country. But my son has been sick with the human metanomirus or something like that. So I may be late or delayed. Hopefully I can still come. Yeah, best wishes to your son, Robert. That's uh, it's unfortunate. And wouldn't be NCAA cross without a Johnson brother there. You know, 2018, Madison, I still remember. You were supposed to fly in on the morning of, but there was a snowstorm the night before. Couldn't get it, get in the plane. I mean, it was a great meet, but I feel like 
Let's Run.com. That's one of our big events. We get so excited for the NCAA Cross Country Championships because it always delivers. It's where stars are born. So I hope you can make it down and join me. John, our prediction contest, I'll bring this all full circle. We have a sponsor now. Koros NCAA prediction contest. Also today, John, this is all coincidence. But when you work with Let's Run, coincidence go your way. Molly Seidel, John. There's now a Koros Pace 2 Molly Seidel edition. To my knowledge, they've had a Nelly Kipchoge edition. Now Molly Seidel. So, shows she moves the needle. Special colors for her. It's the full send edition. So, maybe you can win one of those if you win our prediction contest. Molly Seidel, former NCAA cross-country champion. I mean, you win NCAA cross, sometimes great things await as a professional. Not always, but it's just... This is where we get big, big time athletes. Galen Rupp, NCAA champion in cross country. Connor Mance could be the next big thing. He won NCAA's, but it's 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 such a hard meet to win, which is why it's so why I love it so much. Grant Fisher never won NCAA cross country. He's now had one of the best seasons ever by a U.S. distance runner. You know, twelve forty six, twenty six thirty three, fourth of the worlds, but couldn't win NCAA cross. That's no knock on Grant. It's just it's a really hard meet to win. Isn't that a knock on Grant? I mean, who did he lose to? Oh, well, you th- well, you think that up, or unless you have it. I recall. know the answer. He lost to Morgan McDonald as a senior. And and he, lost to Grant, he lost to Justin Knight as a junior. I mean, Justin Knight is at least a 12. Justin Knight's like a guy. 12, 51 guy, yeah. Okay, that's legit. But Morgan McDonald? What is his PB? I think he's run thirteen fifteen, in. I mean, Morgan McDonald was really good that year. Morgan McDonald has kind of been injured since then. He hasn't raced a ton the last couple of years, but I don't think that would, like there's no I, I shame in losing this. to Morgan McDonald. I, I shouldn't say this, but I will. Like when you hear Grant Fisher ever won and see across, do you think a little bit? Pretty boy, Stanford, not that tough. I mean, that's how I think of Grant Fisher a little bit. I don't think that. I just think, like, he came second. He was came second by, like, a second. He was very close to beating Morgan McDonald on a tough Wisconsin course. There was snow on the ground. Like, it's not like, oh, he totally wilted in the cold conditions. He got beat by a guy who was better than him on that, that, that year. And don't take that as the wrong way, people, if you're a Fisher fan. I mean, Weldon and I were not good at great across country either. We were pretty little boys in the Ivy League East Coast version of Stanford. But I do think of that. Weldon cut out for a minute. Well, Weldon's looking weird. He's, he didn't hear what I said. I said, the fact that Grant Fisher didn't win an NCAA cross country, does that make you think a little bit pretty boy, Stanford boy, not that tough? It does to me. And that's kind of how I view him. He's amazingly good, but I don't think of him as this guy ain't blue collar runner. No, 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 no. It's a, a little rough certified with the Grant Fisher. I get some of that vibe, but I, I'm more offended that Robert, a guy who never ran in college, just compared himself to Grant Fisher. My God. I apologize to all of our visitors. I mean, come on. So let's run.com track talk podcast. The thing we're known for is Robert 
making unreasonable comparisons and saying that he should coach every professional athlete who so- shows any signs of struggle. So not really surprised by this. Well, then come on. We've been doing this for like three or four years now. And I've thought of the perfect person I should coach. We'll come to that later, John. He doesn't have a coach now. He wants to practice his English lessons. I can do all at once. I thought the same thing. And you, you got Ethiopian connections, Robert. I do. I can even have a translator. All right. Enough about somehow Grant Fisher is just catching strays throughout this whole podcast. Let's talk about this year's NCAA Cross Country Championships in Stillwater. It should be great. I'm excited for both of these races. Do you guys want to start with the men's race or the women's race? What catches your fancy? I guess I'll, I'll ask you guys, what is the single most exciting thing about this meet to you, 2022? Is it the Valby versus Tui showdown? Is it the men's race on the team side, wide open? Is it something else? What What's getting you excited about this meet, Robert? Well, without a doubt, it's Valby Tui for me. Who wins the NCAA women's title? Because first of all, when you're watching on TV, that's what you see. So for the average person at home, that's easy to follow. And these are two both, you know, American, born and raised, super talents. And it's just, I, I they have like passionate fans, it seems like, on the forums. You know, some Tui's been there since ninth, eighth, eighth or ninth grade. And was she going to be another flame out? No, she looks amazing. Volby barely runs what's going on there, but she's incredibly good and she just goes hard from the gun. And now there's this scandal of is Tui injured? Much when Sluice or people watching on the internet saw her grab her left hamstring. How can we analyze this race, John? Have you have you reached out to the coach yet? Have we talked to Caitlin Tui? Because I'm not I'm not discounting that. I think I, something is wrong with her hamstring. Coaches famously reluctant to really share a lot of you know detail on injuries like this, but I am scheduled to talk to Lori Hennis, the NC State coach, later this afternoon after this podcast records. So we'll have an update based on whatever she says when we publish our women's preview. That is one of the things I plan on asking her about. But yeah, I, this is the thing I'm most excited about as well, Robert, because right now they've both been crushing competition all season long. Valby's running these ridiculous times you know 1825 okay it's a cross-country time i don't try not to read too much into it that's a 6k time but i've never i can't remember seeing a 6k time that fast i've been told by multiple people that course is accurate or even a little long uh at Ole miss where she ran it so the but the big thing for me is she's just blowing away really good runners so that to me is more impressive than these crazy times she's running. But Caitlin Tui has also looked totally under control. I don't think she's gotten out of about third gear in any of her races this year. So not just the form that they're in, but these could be two of the women who are leading the way for the United States for the next 10 years on the professional scene. You know, would it be a shock to see either of these women in the next Olympics or in 2028 in LA? By that time, I think they could be the top two distance women in the country. So for them to go head to head as collegians on a tough course with a national title on the line. Uh, yeah, that is going to be fantastic to watch. If you're a fan of American distance running, you need to watch this race on Saturday morning with Tui versus Valby. Yeah. I mean, in New York a few weeks ago, Jenny Simpson told you, right? She expects them to break 15 minutes. I did. I asked her, you know, because this was your theory, Robert, you, you made a bold prediction. You said, 
we're going to see the first NCAA woman break 15 minutes this either this winter or spring on the track for 5,000 meters. And I said, Robert has this theory, and she said, you're totally right. I expect that to go down as well. So Jenny Simpson has endorsed Robert Johnson. I told her that you'd be risking giving Robert a huge ego, but she was just like, well, I, I think it's probably going to happen. So you've got the Simpson endorsement. And she is the closest anyone's ever come. She ran 1501 back in 20, 2009 at University of Colorado. Thanks for asking what I think about this, John. I'm pretty sure that was my prediction. Didn't I say someone was going to run sub 1450 this year? Maybe. I don't know. Robert can, I mean, maybe Robert brainwashed me. I seem to remember Robert making the prediction uh, of sub 15. All right, we'll roll the tape. But for me at NCAs, for sure, Balby versus Tui. That's the heavyweight matchup. It's simple. I mean, there's other people who could win this thing. But public at large, the discussion on Let's Run, I, I don't think I've seen a matchup, or I can't think of a matchup this anticipated on the female side in a long time. So I talked to Dave Smith about this, the Oklahoma State coach. I said, when's the last time you can remember a matchup like this? He said, 2009, Susan Kaiken against Jenny Simpson, then Jenny Barringer. Both of these women were absolute stars. Jenny had run 359 for 1500 earlier that spring. It was expected to be a big-time showdown. They were up front at the start, and then both of those women totally imploded, and unheralded Angela Bizzari came in and took away the victory. So... Dave did mention to me, he's like, look, people hype up these head-to-head showdowns. Anything can happen in NCAA cross-country. There's a lot of that's a lot of pressure to put on women, you know, a 20-year-old woman. It's supposed to be you versus this one other person. And we've seen it before. 2016 was another example. Not quite as much attention, but Aaron Finn and Anna Rora, they were the ones sort of battling up top. And then who comes in? Carissa Schweizer runs them both down and kicks the victory in Terre Haute. So I'm not totally discounting someone else. I know Robert, his dark horse is Kaylee McCabe. Not really a dark horse. She finished third last year, but she's someone I could see. The, these, you know, Tui and Valby, they're just focused on each other. She comes in and outkicks both of them. I wouldn't be totally shocked. I think it probably will be Valby and Tui one, two, one in some order, but we do have to remember there are 200 and 53 other women in this race. We shouldn't totally forget about them. So who do you guys like? I mean, I think initially a couple of weeks ago, I was going back and forth and then I said, well, it makes sense to me. Volby, she barely runs. She will have improved more, but I would normally say, I think over the last two weeks, I changed my mind and said, Tui, like Tui won last year on the track. She's been having an amazing season, blowing people away. She actually beat uh, Chell and God of Alabama by more than Volby did all in the last 1K. So I was kind of thinking, like, how do you break her? She's going to stay close enough and then I'll kick her because she's got better speed. But now with the hamstring injury, and we don't know if it's an injury, but that's enough doubt for me that if I was betting, I'd put the money on Valby. And I think Valby's got to just go early and break her. Now, you talked about a past NCAs. I do remember another past NCAs where somebody was broken early, 
and they ended up winning it. This was on the men's side. Edward Cheserick was beaten, I think, by Kennedy Kathuka. Was that who it was, John? He was, un- he was viewed as unstoppable. Breaks open, and you're like, wait, he's not putting more get, get gap on the field. Oh, he's coming back to the field. And then Cheserick won. So I can see that happening here because Balby, was it at the regional meet, John? Or was it at the conference meet when she got way ahead of Chell and got early? But she didn't keep putting more distance on. It stayed about that 10-second range. Yeah, that was the conference meet, yeah. And, and I'm thinking, okay, if Tui doesn't give up, I think she could still run her down. But if you're not 100%, if your hamstring's hurting you, I think that's going to be tough. And if she is injured, I still think Tui could run a good enough race to not impact NC State too much in the team battle. She could finish 10th without going 100%. But winning an individual title, I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, I'll... I'll cop out here and I basically agree with your assessment there Robert if anything's up with Tui I think that shifts it that I would pick Valby I I, you know I gotta wait I haven't made my official predictions yet I think I would have to go with Valby though just because they're so close that even that little bit of doubt about the status of her health would tip the scales in Valby's favor but yeah it's it should be Really excited. I think it, if it wasn't for that, I would have gone Tui based on how under control she looked. And I think the onus is going to be on Parker Valby to try and drop Caitlin Tui because she tried to drop her in NCAAs on the track last spring. Couldn't do it. Tui closed away, closed and won. And Tui has been winning all of her races essentially by just sitting and kicking on people. I think she has a better kick than Parker Valby. If they're still together with about 200 meters to go, there's a big downhill coming into the finish. If they're still together, I'm picking Caitlin Tui every time. So I think that Valby is going to have to sort of make this race. And the other thing that's an unknown here is the course is very tough. The last time NCAAs was on this course was two years ago. The winning time was over 20 minutes for 6K. So it's a very difficult course to run. We haven't seen Parker Valby run on hills basically ever. She went to high school in Florida, one of the flattest states in the union. She runs at the University of Florida. As far as I can tell, she's never run on a cross-country course with anyone would describe hilly. So how does she handle that? Is she going to be able to pull away? This is a rhythm-breaking course. There's a lot of uphills and downhills. Is she going to be able to perform and do her usual strategy, or is that going to throw a wrench into it? So I'm curious to see how she reacts. Earlier, Robert was suggesting Grant Fisher might be a little soft as a runner. Kaylin Tui's not. I think of her as tough. She's tested. She's from the Northeast. Wait, Grant Fisher's from Michigan, though. You're not soft if you grew up running in Michigan. But apart from that, yeah, the fact is, isn't there's a lot of question marks, right, about Volby. The fact it's not a pancake class flat course to me raises a lot of question marks. She likes to front run. You can get in trouble that way the more difficult the course. So I think I would probably, if the more I thought about it, kind of sided with Tui. She's been through the ringer. I mean, she was the greatest high school cross-country runner ever, would you say, John? Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, totally. And then kind of COVID or final year saw the decline that a lot of young women go through. And the question is, is her career going to go maybe more the direction of Mary Kane? 
and now she's back. I think that that resiliency will help her here. But Parker Volby could be like just this total sensation. I mean, this woman who doesn't run that many miles per week, been injured. You know, she's really good in high school, but like not Caitlin Tui good. And to top it off, the whole crazy thing is like neither one of these women has finished higher than 15th at NCAs in cross country. Like that's a sort of fascinating angle on this, right? Like as good as they are, Tui was 15th last year. Velby was 26, I think. And now we're talking like these, no one else can beat them. So I think as you pointed out, some of the examples in the past, I expect one of them to win, but I don't know. Could be a Jenny Simpson. You go out hard. There's so much pressure on these two people. The course affects them both. The third person wins it. Yeah, and actually, Weldon, hearing you talk about that and me saying the course stuff, I think I'm. I think I'm going to reverse and go back with Tui. I picked Tui before the season. I, I just. I think it's going to be hard to drop someone in this course. We did see Connor Mance do it in the men's race in 2020, but he was kind of like, I, I think Wesley Kiptu was kind of the Valby in that role, that race, and Kiptu couldn't drop them all. He ended up tiring himself out. It was four extra kilometers compared to the women, but yeah, I think, I think I'm on, I, now I'm on Tui right now, but who knows, by the time I make my official picks, I might be back on Valby. This is what makes this thing so great. Well, I agree because the whole hills threw me for a loop there. I thought about it. I'm like, oh my God, she's never, never run on hills. And I wasn't good at hills. We grew up in Dallas, which is flat. Like that would totally throw me off to have huge hills in this race. Robert has now compared himself to Grant Fisher and Parker yes. Valby, just for the record. What do you mean? You hear the NFL guys talk about their experience when they're analyzing the game. I'm talking about my experience. It doesn't matter if you're like a 13-minute guy or a 16-minute guy. It's still the same in your head. Like when I go out and run now and I'm trying to break, like close it off with a sub six, for a tempo, I mean, you know, a sub seven. Robbie, wait, me. when was the last time you ran a sub six? A sub seven for the last mile of like a tempo, you know, all out race of effort. It feels the same. It's the same mindset as my head as when I was training at a semi elite level. But yeah, two is tough. Now, by the way, the Fisher stuff I'm saying about him being a pretty boy and soft isn't probably fair at all, but that's just the perception. Stanford, and he's such a nice guy, you know, but. Yeah, Tui was so, I forgot, so good at cross country in high school. She's probably used to hills. And, but there is the phantom injury, John. I mean, this injury gate got so much hype and publicity on the website this weekend. And I, I've now received, well, it's not anonymous. The person isn't hiding who they are. I'm not going to say their name. Let's see. This email first came in Sunday night. I apologize for not replying right away. I have info on Caitlin Tui's left hamstring. Then person then wrote again yesterday saying, would you like to hear? Then they added, would you like to hear about it? I have written back, yes. So maybe during this podcast, we will hear the secret info on the hamstring. But like, this thing's got it all. You need a little intrigue. This is what the sport needs. Like, one superstar who we've heard about for years, the up-and-comer. There was already a lot of talk like, oh, the front-runner versus... The kicker, throw an injury now, a difficult course, intrigue, like, oh, none of them actually ever done well at this race before. It's great. I, no, I, I, I agree with you, Alden. It adds to the intrigue, and that's why we love this race. And look, we complain the regular season, nothing really matters in cross country. Valby and Tui didn't race at all in the, middle, in the cross country regular season. But that's what makes this meet so great is because there are all these uncertainties. 
uh, heading into the biggest meet of the year. And I, I do want to say, just for the record, this whole Tui injury talk, she did finish this race and won the Southeast Regional. So I don't know if it's gotten worse or anything since then, but it wasn't bad enough for her to stop running and it wasn't bad enough for her to lose the race. So she still hung, she still won this race, even if she got an in quote unquote injury midway through. By the way, have I said that I suffer from a long term left hamstring injury, John, just to make it more about myself. No, but the, the injury may make it tough to do the Hills. So it'll be interesting. All right. So that's all of ours. Number one storyline. My second most important storyline is the men's team title. You know, the pretty boys that I've liked to crap on for 20 years, Stanford, they got all the talent back in the day. We'll Google it. Grote poll, G R O T E poll. This guy, Ryan Grote would make a poll, his own preseason poll every year. And he would just make fun of Stanford and how they would blow it every year. And it was fun. Like it was a big thing in let's run for five years or so. But and I used to hate on them. Like it, it was kind of like, and it's easy to hate on them because all the smart recruits want to go to Stanford. Like, why wouldn't you go to Stanford? It's great weather. It's a great school. It's like when you're recruiting the Ivy League, all the all the kids want to go to Princeton, Harvard, and then when they had scholarships in the mix, they all go to Stanford. But they've done so poorly, or not so poorly, but maybe that's true. Like they've gotten a lot of talent over the years, but haven't won in 18 years. So now I kind of can root for them as the underdog. Like NAU is the big bad boy. Stanford is not the underdog. Let's get that straight. They're number one in the polls. No, they're I think loaded they're the roster. They are not the underdog by any stretch of the imagination. NAU's won what? Five out of six? Yes. And they got spanked by Stanford earlier this year. The Stanford, all of the Stanford guys are injured. All of the Stanford guys are injured. One Stanford guy didn't run regionals. It's Cole Sprout. And according to his coach, Ricardo Santos, who I spoke to yesterday, he's back running. Well, I, I asked Ricardo, is Cole Sprout injured? And he said, he's running. So he's back training. According to you know some of these Strava sleuths, he missed. It looks like he didn't log a run on Strava for a week leading up to regionals. They didn't run. And I asked you know, Santos why he didn't run the regional. He's like, well, we felt like he needed to give him some rest. We were in a position where we could rest him. So I, my guess is he's not 100% healthy, but I think he's going to be healthy enough to run the NCAAs. But the rest of the team, they're not injured. I know this isn't an underdog story. If, this, if they win, it's an impressive job by this group of guys to get over the hump and win the NCAA title. Stanford's been very, very good for the last two decades. I know that Robert said, oh, sometimes they choke at NCAAs, but I was just looking. They finished in the top six every year since 2014. They're always up there, and now they've finally got the roster, I think, that can get it done and win the title. But th this is not like a foregone conclusion. They were very impressive at the Nutty Cup meet earlier this season, but the BYU team they faced there did not have two of its top runners. BYU actually beat Stanford earlier this season at the Cowboy Jamboree on this course at Oklahoma State. And then you've got NAU, who are the two-time defending national champions. They've still got Nico Young and Drew Bosley. They've had some uncertainty behind them, but if there's anything we've learned from recent NCAA cross-country championships, 
NAU always runs its best race on the day. Like they very rarely have a bad day. 2019 is like basically the only time since Mike Smith took over that they've had less than A in NCAA. So they're going to be in the mix. And then Oklahoma State, the host team. This is the best roster they've had since their national title team in 2012. This might even be better than that 2012 team, but the competition is, is better this year. So they're running on their home course. I think any four of those teams could win it, but I think Stanford has to be the favorites. When you score 54 at Nuttycomb, that you have to be the NCAA favorites. Okay, a few points, John. Six at NCAAs is a completely different ball game than first. It's not even the same ballpark. Stanford been close to winning the title recently? No. Well, it was second in 2014 and 2016. Okay, that was, what, two coaches ago? No, that was Milton Berg. And then after Milton Berg was Ricardo Santos. But, okay, without Cole Sprout, can they win, John? Let's say he's not a, not in top five. I, I think they can, honestly. Uh, they would, that, they'd have to have a, a really good day from their back, you know, their three, four, five guys. He significantly lowers their odds. I think they go from the the favorite to you probably have BYU, maybe Oklahoma State ranked above, above them, but I don't know. I'd, I'd have to do the, you know, give me a second to do the math on Nuttycomb, but if they dropped him out, okay, they would gain 70, sorry, they'd gain 100 points in that team score at Nuttycomb, but the number six guy had a bad day at Nuttycomb. Boyden, he was 119th, but he's like a 1330 guy. If he was up in, you know, the 30s, 40s range, they could have still beaten BYU. I think they can win, but it's it's much, much more unlikely if Cole Sprout's not, not running. I still struggle with certain concepts, John. He's a 1330 guy and they're sixth guy. Like, what did Adam Goucher run in college? I mean, that's just, that's the way things are. Like Stanford, they've had this for years. Like they'll have a 1330 something guy, but they haven't always been able to get them to run cross country. Now they have like Boyden. He was a lot better. He was seventh at pac 12. So if he's stepping up to be a three or four could be all right. But yeah, they, they need, I mean, winning without Cole Sprout would be a, they need a huge performance. Winning with him, they just need to have like a decent day. For the record, John, I'm looking up Adam Goucher's time. He was a 1330 guy in college. I think 1331 was his best time. For the record, I mean, he did run 1311 the next year, but that's crazy. But just the nature of cross country, if you're having to rely on a number six instead of a number one, usually that kills you. I don't care how good your team is. And it's weird. I feel like NAU has lost more than one of the last six years. I don't know why. Was it close? I don't know. That just seems crazy, but I'm sort of ruling them out. I shouldn't. And then, wait, you said earlier in this, BYU beat Stanford. So who was Stanford sitting in that race? Maybe that shows there's no room for error. So Stanford didn't run Kai Robinson in that race at the Cowboy Jamboree September 24th. And I guess, yeah, that's a good good example, right? BYU scored 75 in that meet. Stanford was 101. And Stanford probably 
with Cole Sprout in their sorry with Kai Robinson in the lineup probably would have won because their number five guy was fifty eight. So that was just sitting one guy. That just shows like it's a fine r- room for error, and I don't know if cross country the team battle public at large is like oh, who gives a shit about well running in general, but cross country. But if you're on a team, it's just such a unique thing. I think most of let's run audience just can relate to it. Yeah, actually, though, I want to correct myself for the record. They didn't just set one guy. They also set sat Mika Boyden Rousseau, who has been among their top athletes this year as well. So that that was really them sitting two guys. If you throw him in, if Boyden Rousseau was, they were lost by twenty six points. So he would have to be. Around thirtieth in that meet, that's possible. So th- I think there is a. I think it shows there is a path without Cole Sprout. But I, I mean, it's one of these three teams, right? Oh, I think Oklahoma State could win. Oh, you said that earlier. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State was. If you all four of these teams ran at the Cowboy Jamboree, BYU won with seventy-five, Stanford one hundred one, NAU one ten, Oklahoma State one eighteen, and the way I was talking to. Dave Smith about this, the Oklahoma State coach, he was like, yeah, I think our range at NCAAs is probably about 100 to 120. And he thought BYU and Stanford were in the 80 to 100 point range. So he's like, look, if they have a little bit of an off day and we're at the top of our range, that's how they could beat them and win the title. And I, I view it similarly because, I mean, Oklahoma State, they've got a really solid front three or four with Victor Shitsama, with Alex Mayer, and Isai Rodriguez, John? Isai Rodriguez, of course. How am I forgetting him? Uh, it's because, sorry, I was looking at the results from Cowboy Jamboree and he wasn't running. Yeah, those three I really trust up front. Rory Leonard's been very solid. He was the runner-up at Big 12, so I think he probably is going to be there four if everything goes according to plan. And then they're looking for sort of a mid-D guy to step up either Ryan Shoppy or Fouad Masodi to be their number five. Wait, you just said the runner-up at Big 12 will be their number four. Yeah, yeah. By my math, you should be the number two. I, yes, I'm saying if they have their best-case scenario, he's probably their fourth-best guy because Victor Shitsama, I think, is better than him. Victor Shitsama didn't have a great race at Big 12. So he was only 15th. And then Rodriguez, he was fourth at NCAA Cross in 2018. His ceiling is a top 10 guy. I don't think Rory Leonard's a top 10 guy. So Big 12, Oklahoma State, they ran they ran well, but I don't think that's like the order necessarily that they would finish in if they win the NCAA title. Do you see what I'm saying or not? Was he fourth as a true freshman? He was a redshirt freshman in 2018. Like I think he's a... I think... He's a complete wild card, though, because he basically didn't train all summer, and then it got to the middle of August, and they were like, well, my foot's still not completely healthy, but I need to start training because the season's here. So he just toughs it out. But I don't think he's going to be afraid at all to go with the lead pack. I mean, heck, I could see him being a dark horse for the win. This is a guy, he was fourth in 2018 as a redshirt freshman. He's insanely talented. He's not afraid of anyone. 
I don't know if he's the best guy in this race, but I know he's going to be up there and he's not going to be afraid of anyone. So if you're looking for a real dark horse for the win, I would say it's Isai Rodriguez. And if he's in the top 10, that's a great start for OK State in the team race. By the way, speaking of Oklahoma State, and I love Dave Smith, but the whole, all these all these ideas I remember at the beginning of the season of like, Colin Solomon may not run, and oh, by the way, we may suspend a couple runners and not run them. Those are all by the wayside, right? Like Solomon's running, and there was never any suspensions at Oklahoma State that we heard what about. What do you mean? Shea Foster hasn't run all year. Oh, okay. I take that back, Dave. Doing it with integrity. It's actually interesting, because he's been, Shea Foster has been like, an all-american in cross country so you know they're like oh we kind of need to find a fifth man well he would be the ideal fifth man for them he was 27 last year at ncaa cross but you know it sounds like there's been some issues and he won't die doesn't look like he's going to be running for them this weekend but i think they're still good enough to win without him they just need to have you know they need to catch a few more breaks than than stanford or byu byu's i mean we should talk about them a little bit but their depth is just pretty insane. They were not a team I was thinking, oh, this is kind of a rebuilding year. They're getting on their way back. No. Casey Klinger has been really good up front. They've got Brandon Garnica back. He's running well now. And they have these two guys, the Creed Thompson and Dalvin Thompson. What? They're not twins. I think they're two-thirds of a triplets uh, from high school. Sorry, Davin Thompson. But they were you know, two of the best runners in the high school class of 2021 and didn't really get to show that off because COVID limited their competitions. They've stepped in and run well. They have a grad transfer, Christian Allen, from Weber State. So they're a really strong team, and I think they can probably afford... They're probably the team that's best positioned to absorb a mistake from one of their back guys, but I'm not sure if they can go quite as low as as uh, Stanford with their top three. We haven't really mentioned Northern Arizona that much. They've won five of six. Just coming in the season, I would just say chalk it up to Northern Arizona. I, mean, I guess I knew Stanford had some big guns on the track, but is it really just a matter? They didn't have enough depth. Colin Solomon isn't as good as we thought. Maybe for cross country, I mean, it's a tough adjustment to 10K. And, you know, Abdi Nur turned pro. I mean, I, I, that's the thing. You lose a number one, and then you're essentially relying who should be your number six. So we're talking about a Stanford do with Cole Sprout. I think the answer is no to most teams. That's kind of what happened at NAU, right? Well, kind of. Yeah, losing Abdi Nur obviously hurt. But what they've usually been able to do, they, I mean, they lost Luis Grijalva going into 2021. Same situation. He turned pro they still won easily because they have guys step up. And in theory, they're returning four of the top five from last year. And the problems for them have been George Kirsch and Brody Hasty, who were the four or five guys on last year's title team and were expected to be their number three and four. They haven't run to the level they need to be at for NAU to win the national title. Now, Brody Hasty certainly has has a track record of turning things around and coming through at NCAAs, finishing in the, you know, right around 40th. So maybe he has a shot to do that, but George Cush hasn't run well at all this year. He was 97th at Nuttycomb. He was 86th at the Cowboy Jamboree. So he needs to make a major leap from where he's been at. And then even through that, they're still looking for a number five guy. So their problem coming in was like, oh, 
we're set through four, but we need someone to step up at number five. Well, now it's actually then they have questions at number three and number four, and they haven't totally found number five, whether it's going to be Colin Salmon or Theo Quarks or Ryan Roth, like one of those guys. So I think they could win because they have a history of getting it done on the day, but they need a lot more things to go right this year than they have in previous years. But I, I, I just... I haven't been following that closely, but I watched some Dice interview or Runner Space or something where they were talking to the top two guys, Nico and who's number two? John? Drew Bosley. I'm like, we trust Coach Smith. And they won the regional. They beat BYU, right? And then they did. Yeah. I, I, I keep hearing that, well, they have four of the top five back. So all you need is a fifth, and you have the best recruit in a decade coming in. So. That's five to me. And then I hear Jody Kirsch and Brody Hastie are running well. Well, George Kirsch was fifth at the Big Sky cross-country meet. And Brody Hastie was fourth at the Big Sky cross-country meet. So, and then 14th at the regional. Like, what's but How, how many other teams are in the Big Sky, Robert? It's them in Montana State. Like, wh- that doesn't really mean anything. So, you're saying fourth in the conference meet means nothing? I'm not saying it means nothing. I'm saying that's that's George Kush's only good race this year. And all the other ones he bombed. Like That's like a dual, finishing... Like If I told you he finished fourth in a dual meet with Montana State, would that really say anything to you? Because that's basically what happened here. So, no, it, it doesn't well, really move the needle for me that much. All the hate mail's coming in now from Big Sky fans. It's 43 seconds behind Nico Young. Is that good? Probably not good enough. That's a lot. If he's 43 seconds behind Nico Young in NCAAs, I mean, Nico Young could win, so maybe, but that's that's a long way. Also, send your hate mail. You can call us, text us, leave a voicemail for John, how off base he is, one let us run Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I'm saying NAU could win, but I just don't think they've solved... If anything, they have more problems now than they did at the start of the season. Start of the season, their only thing was we need some guy to step up and be a five. So I don't know. I'm not ruling them out. I, I really like their top two. I mean, Young and Bosley, those guys probably both going to be in the top ten. I remember last year. I think there was a lot of question marks about number five, and Brody Hasty stepped up big time. So that experience means something. Five out of six means something. The Stanford's good. If Cole Sprout isn't there, there's a lot of question marks. Well, Cole Sprout's running. I told to Ricardo Santa. He is running the race. I don't. We just went off for 30 minutes about Kaylin Tui's phantom injury. This guy, he didn't post runs on Strava for a week. And also, like, can I go off on a rant here? Can people just turn off their Strava? Like, would they have like social validation on our runs? Maybe it doesn't matter. People know what's going on, but like, wh- why does everyone need to publicly post their runs on Strava? Well, you're arguing for less information about professional runners. I-, I just don't understand why you would say that. P- people are free to use Strava if they want. They don't need to use it if they don't want to. But why would you argue we should, like, some runners, a lot of runners don't want to share anything about their training. And now you're saying the ones that willingly put it out there should should not do so? I disagree with that. Trade secrets, John. You don't give away your trade secrets. Although I used to joke, you know, pre-Stravo, and you'd see, like, I don't know, someone's work. Shalene Flanagan's sample week in Runner's World. 
it was like fake, you know, it's like her best week ever. So now at least we have the data. We got the receipts, you know. It's like it's looking at vote t- tallies. You, you can see how things went. Okay. By the way, if you're 43 seconds behind the winner of NCAA cross country, you're doing quite well. I mean, and even extend that 8K to 10K if you're a minute within the winner. I mean, last year, 28-33 won it. 29-31 was 40th, 58 seconds. So I think Hasty and those guys are on tap to be All-American again. 40th, they'll finish where they always finish. We'll see. We'll see. It, would, it sh- would it shock me if they get it done and NAU wins? Absolutely not. But I just think they need, this one, they're counting on three guys to kind of step up their performance from the whole season. Last year, it was really only yeah, two guys or even one if you trusted George Kush. So I just think they there are far more scenarios where they don't win compared to previous years. All right. Men's individual battle. This is as wide open as I can remember it. I don't think there's a clear favorite on the men's side. I think there are probably about five or six guys who you'd include in that discussion. Nico Young's one of them, obviously. He was fourth on this course as a freshman in 2021. He's run 13-11 on the track. He's been up there at every race he's run this year. And he won the Mountain Regional. He won the Big Sky Meet. I don't care. Yeah, Robert, we maybe discount that because, again, he won the Big Sky Meet by a lot, though. I would say that. 26 seconds over Drew Bosley, who is you know a potential top 10 guy. So... He's got to be in the discussion. You've got to have Alex Mayer, who won Big 12s. He also won the Cowboy Jamboree on this course in September against all the top teams were there. Not all of the top individuals, but many of them. Charles Hicks, he was fourth last year. He was the Pac-12 champion the last two years of Stanford. Kai Robinson of Stanford won the Nutty Comb Invitational over Nico Young, so he's got to be up there. And then Victor Kiprop of Alabama is the SEC champion. He's undefeated this whole season. So I think all of those guys have to be in the discussion. If you want to open it up a little bit more, I can see Nicholas Scudder of Charlotte. He won all of his races except the Notre Dame invite where he lost to Kiprop, who, as we said, is undefeated this year. Brian Faye is a 13-16 guy. He kind of got a late start in the season. He's an Irishman from the University of Washington. He won the West Regional. He's run 13-16 on the track. So those are sort of the guys in the individual title discussion. Is there anyone else you think could win? Or is there some guy that stands out to you you think should be the favorite from this group? I guarantee you Nico Young will be the favorite in the Electron.com prediction contest. He's just the biggest name. This happens with anyone who is good in an American high school immediately gets hyped to watch much more more people know him. Like he's been in the US consciousness for distance running fans for two or three years now. So yes, he will be the favorite in our contest, but do, is that fair or should it be someone else? He's come on really well this season. I'll give him that much. Got beat early on, looking great of late. I I'm not gonna argue with anyone who's gonna say you shouldn't pick Nico Young. He's fabulous in high school at this thing. But as you said, there's what five, four, five, six people who could win this thing. 
It's just not the mono a mono matchup that we have on the woman's side. So I think it's great though. I can you guys remember the last time we had an NCAA cross where there were about five or six guys who you could legitimately say, hey, this person should win NCAAs? Usually on the men's side, it's only about two or three. Robert, you have any favorites? Who do you like in this race? Since I've been playing Doctor Daddy, I, I mean Doc. I mean, since I've been playing Fake Doctor all week, haven't been as doing as much research as normal. But I did read a message board thread that said it had to be Nico Young. So, playing Fake Doctor, did you just compare yourself to Alberto Salazar there, Robert? Well, my mom, whenever she travels to Mexico, does come back with prescription drug medication that she shouldn't have tries to get me to like stockpile it in my house, which I refuse to do because you shouldn't take antibiotics or stuff you don't need. But yeah. All right. Well, Robert's picking Nico Young because he saw a message board thread with his name in the title. So that's probably about the same reason why Nico Young will be our favorite in the prediction contest. Well, plus as journalists, wouldn't it be good for us, John, if we have the first gay winner? I, I guess so. I, you know, I totally forgot about that. It's just kind of been, I mean, it's great for him for coming out, but like time to get back to r racing and focus on that stuff uh i think it's probably hopefully a good thing no one's really made like oh this is he hasn't received like any hate or anything like that i think cross country is a pretty open open sport so yeah i guess i don't know for, for us as let's run fans sorry as people who operate a running website it's probably in our interest for nico young to win because he's a person that people get really excited about. This will build the excitement about Nico Young when people come to Let's Run. But I don't root for people based on that. It's good for high school athletes to go to college, build their brand name, become icons, and then people follow them. I wish the NBA did that, you know, et cetera. It's, I was just thinking in terms of viral, would, would Google pick up a story about a gay runner more likely? Can I just make my point for why I think Nico Young's going to win, though? I feel like we... We didn't really have much discussion. Your point was his name was in a message board thread and he's gay. So he might be interesting winner. Like to me, he's run 1311. It's really freaking fast. And he was fourth on this course as a freshman. This course is really hard. You know who does well at hard courses? People who can suffer a lot. Great cross country runners. Nico Young is one of the best cross country runners in US high school history. He has had success on this course in 2021. He's a lot better net runner now than he was then. That's why I like him for the win. I think over 10,000 kilometers, sorry, 10,000 meters in this race, I like him to hold up better than everyone else. So just wanted to get my pick out there for now. I'm still going with the guy I picked in the preseason, Nico Young. John, the course thing is interesting. Because although Nico Young's only a sophomore, this is his third NCAA championship. You're in it twice. He's a junior. I mean, this is his third year in college, but by eligibility, he's a sophomore. He's a sophomore, even though it's his third race, because you got a COVID year. Right, right. But at his first NCAA championships in the spring of 2021, he was fourth place. 32 seconds behind Connor Mance. In the fall of last year, he was only 24 seconds behind Connor Mance, but he was 11th place. Now, I think some of the difference was the, the course, as you pointed out, John. In the spring, they ran on the more difficult course at Oklahoma State. And he did really well there. That, 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 that's making me think. He might be my favorite. He's coming on strong. I think he's got good strength coming from an altitude. I think at altitude, uh, you're, you're taught to 
you sense how your body runs better naturally because you, you hit your threshold better. So I think dealing with hills might you might be better prepared for it. So I like your thinking there, John. So you got to say, Alex Mayer from Oklahoma State, he trains on this course and he won the Cowboy Jamboree here as well. So I think he'll be well suited to it. The Stanford guys, who knows? You know, if you're going by the Stanford pretty boy theory, they might struggle on it. But I think Kai Robinson and Charles Hicks are both really, really good. I could absolutely see one of them winning. But yeah, my picks, I think I'm still going to go with Nico Young. And we're probably going to have a live show or a show from, we're not sure. If you want a second podcast every week, we're going to have one from Oklahoma State. It might be pre-race, it might be post-race, but join the Supporters Club today to get a second podcast every week. It only goes to Supporters Club members. We call it the Friday 15, minimum 15 minutes. But this thing's usually 45 minutes, hour, what have you. If you really call yourself a running fan, you got to join. Yeah, I've written the Sports Information Director at Oklahoma State to see when we can do it because they keep changing the rules. Like We used to like to go live right before the race. But then I think last year they said you'd have to cut off in a half hour before, and we didn't want to do it like an hour before. So we did it the day before. We could go after to be determined. But I didn't like Weldon's theory there about Nico Young. On the hilly course, he finished farther away from Connor Mance than he did on the flat course. He placed higher because it was a watered-down field because half the guys were in NCH drag. That's what I would argue about that. But We've been hopping around here. We still haven't talked about the women's team title battle. I don't like what am I? I don't know much about this one. I assume NC State's going to win. That's all I'll say. Yeah, well, it is the least interesting storyline of the four races: men's, women's, team, individual. In my opinion, now it could be changed on race day. I mean, look, if we get a tie like we did at the Nutty Cone meet, it's going to be crazy interesting because that is what happened when the two best teams in the country in the national rankings raced each other in the middle of the year. NC State and New Mexico both scored 80 points. It went to the tiebreaker, head-to-head, place-by-place. NC State won it. And how much of a fiasco would it be if NC State wins the head-to-head tiebreaker, they win the national title, but they lose the sixth woman tiebreaker? Which would probably happen because New Mexico has more depth, I would say, at this point. Yeah, there'd be this huge debate on the running internet for about a week about how we should break ties at NCAA cross. That, that's some, have we ever seen two teams tie with the same number of points in NCAA cross country? I might need to look through it, but that would be a crazy scenario. I'd love for, to see that happen at some point. Why would that be a fiasco, John? That's the rules. Uh, it wouldn't be a fiasco. There would be a debate though. People would be like, is this how we should be breaking ties? I mean, there'd, well, be, there'd be controversy. There'd be an argument. We're already having that debate. And I think it was in a high school race. Did you guys see this? It was a week or two ago. Two teams tied. But I guess in high school, they go to the sixth man? Is that what they do? I thought so, yeah. And one of the teams only ran five people. So they automatically lost. So in this this message board poster is like, this is unfair. This is ridiculous. Like, you score five. Like, this is a travesty. They had no chance of winning. And I said, no, they did. I still like it. Like, it's like overtime. Like, through five runners, you're the same. We shouldn't figure out whose one is better than the other one and two and two and three. No. Then you go to extra people. You go to the overtime. Now, what happens if neither one runs a sixth or seventh? Do you want to have it a tie? 
Or do you want to go back to the, what they do now at NCAA level? No, then you should go back and break it. But this team that lost with not having a fifth, not having a sixth runner, I would say that's a floor in the team. If you only have five athletes on the team, you have no depth. And you're susceptible to something like this when people know what the tiebreaker rule is. So it's unfortunate for the athletes, who I'm sure ran really great to finish that tie, but that's like part of building a complete team is having sixth and seventh runner. Anyway, talking about this race at Nationals, the broad strokes of how this played out, NC State won last year. They bring back a lot of the talent from that team. And they also get Sidney Seymour, who is a 15, you know, 30s guy, 15, 40, 30s, 40s woman for Tennessee. She transfers in. Everyone careful, thought, John. Is... People get a little hot on the internet. You mentioned Sidney Seymour's name. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make some proclamation like the entire race comes down to Sidney Seymour, but uh she comes in. I mean, she's gonna play an important role, but so is the rest of their women who need to come through and deliver. Like the thing with NC State, they've got three women who've been running great all season. Caitlin Tui, who we already discussed, Kelsey Camille, who was their top women on the title team last year, and Samantha Bush. They went one, two, three regionals. They've looked great. The question is whether they're four or five runners, Sydney Seymour has been one of them, but it's also been some other women, Brooke Rauber at the conference meet, uh, Gianna Quazzo. Some of these other women, can they kind of step up and run great? Because I think going in, we're like, oh, they had five women who qualified for NCAAs on the track last year. Like, of course, they're going to win NCAAs. It won't be close. Well, no, New Mexico is actually a really good team, too. They don't have quite the front, front runners of NC State, but they've got spectacular depth. Joe Franklin told me this is easily the deepest team he's ever had. And this is a guy who's coached national champions in 2015 and 2017. They're on the podium pretty much every year in New Mexico. So, they're really good. And then I also think Oklahoma State, they've got a really tough top three with Natalie Cook, the high school phenom, high school record holder of 5K, Taylor Rowe, who won the NCAA 3K last year, and Bill Ajep Karui, who is a freshman from Kenya who's been doing great in her first year in the NCAA. That's tough to do, just come in immediately as a freshman from Kenya and have success. Some of them take a little while to adapt. So for her to step in and be great right away has been impressive they're kind of like the men's team at oklahoma state they need someone to you know gabby henteman's also up there she's probably there four she's very reliable i would say they need someone at number five to step up and have a big day and i think they're probably a team that could win if new mexico or nc state falter they both kind of need to falter for them to win it the way i see it it's similar to last year if nc state has their best day, if they reach their potential, they will win. They run their best race. But if they're even a little off that game, I think New Mexico is right, you know, can come in and win. And if both of them are a little off that game, then OK State has a chance. NCAA cross country is interesting in the fact I feel like sometimes, not that either one of these teams, that not the NC State's a huge favorite like this, but the Wisconsin men's team that had Solinsky, Tegan Camp, they came in as huge favorites and the whole team sort of like goes off. And you'll see that from time to time. Like someone's supposed to be the favorite and they just completely falter. It's, there's like, there is such a, like a, there's a team dynamic. I don't know if it's like the training or they get out weird and there's just a vibe connection between, between the team. But New Mexico State better be really deep because 
like John's, I was setting up the contest and John's like, you need to include Sam Reedition of New Mexico State. And I'm like, New Mexico. It's just New Mexico, not New Mexico State. Excuse me, New Mexico. The Lobos, not the. In New Mexico State, the Aggies? Utah State as well. But New Mexico State and Utah State are both the Aggies. I'm sorry, I'm making a ruling. If you're both states in the same geographic region, you're both blank state, you can't both be the Aggies. There's too many Aggies, too many Tigers, too many Wildcats in college sports. Anyway, end of rant. But she was like, she was, you know, eighth at Nuttycomb, but like 98th at the region. And I'm like, wait, we're relying on her? But it sounds like, you know, this, this, the spread between this team, some of the meets, like not just one through five, like one through six or something. So they, they have a lot of room. Like someone can be off and someone else can step it up, but they don't have the firepower up front. I don't think, and I think it's going to cost them. I mean, traditionally you need one, usually two people in the top 10 to win. And I'm not sure they can do that, but yeah, that spread at Nutty Comb, where they tied for the win was 13 seconds. They were eighth, ninth, 12th, 25th and 26th so if you can get a spread of like 13 seconds at ncaa's and your top woman is like 12th yes you can win that way but usually i feel like anecdotally you need some one or two in the top 10 it's a lot easier you know it's, it seems like historically you win with a couple front runners and you don't win with depth at ncaa's but that's just my kind of from what i can recall i haven't looked through the numbers recently one thing that has me concerned about NC State was, I mean, the gap between their one and five at ECCs was almost a minute. I think it was like 58 seconds. If you take 58 seconds and go back to last year's NCAs, you're well under the 60s for your fifth person, which is hurting you. But that's the bad news. The good news is, let's just assume two is incredible. I mean, she was like 22 seconds up on third at ACCs. So if two is like just an outlier and maybe you're really only, you know, 40 seconds behind what would normally be the winner. Then you're, you know, doing better. What would 40 last year, which wasn't, you know, what's 40 seconds off the lead. 1925 to 2005. Well, you're still down to 49th. All right, is that enough NCAA cross-country talk? Can I talk? No, breaking siren. Get the sirens going. Get the sirens going. John, I don't know if this is proper journalism. You can determine if we scratch this segment. The person has emailed back with an update on Caitlin Tui. I have no idea who this person is, so I'll just keep them anonymous. John, you decide if we keep this in there. Does some Wait, does this person have any insight to the program? What's that claim to know about NC State? They did not state credentials or anything. Okay. They just, they emailed Weldon to make this clear. They emailed Weldon to me, and then we'd, of course, pull off our emails. And then we finally responded, and they had not written back when he brought up the story earlier. But they have written back now. They said, yeah, Caitlin tweaked it in practice, and women's coach Lori Hennis has been working with Caitlin and their trainer to get Caitlin back to 100%. She has stayed away from things like fast strides or mile pace workouts, but longer, slower work and races are fine. Sounds pretty detailed, John. Someone just make that up? I mean, someone could have just made it up. This is a guy on the internet. Now, if it's one of our readers and he's telling the truth, well, you know, John I mean, assumed it's a man. Guy, I think, denies sex. 
Based on the name, I'm assuming it's a woman. Okay, it could be a woman on the internet. I'm sorry for leaping to conclusions. It could be a very helpful listener who actually knows exactly what's going on and is trying to help us, or it could be someone completely talking out of their ass. That's the thing, Robert. We don't, we're sorry, that's the thing, Weldon. We don't totally know. So I'm going to take that piece of information with a grain of salt. But if you want to share it with the readers with that context, fine. I think this is great. Just hot takes from random people. I will write back and find out some, some, the credentials of this person. Generally, I prefer to have a, like more information about our sources before we run with something, but I feel like our podcast is a little bit more relaxed than, you know, a written work. So uh, we, we, we said full disclosure what it is. It's just people talking. It's like, you know, having a run. Robert, is there something you'd like to share? You just keep sh- pointing your phone at us. Oh, well, I wanted to play the breaking news sound. I feel like we need to have a different siren for something breaking rumor. Like this, is, I don't know if we we'll call this news. I spent hundreds of dollars on a device that could play all my sounds, but I only figured out how to work it that one week, and then I forgot how to do it. Now I can't figure out how to hook it up again. All right, we'll have more from Oklahoma later this week. Maybe a live show on the morning of the race on Saturday, or it might be just from the course on Friday. We'll keep you posted on that. It'll be for our supporters club members. We'll try to go live as well. Let's run.com slash subscribe. If you're not a supporters club member and you want to join, but yeah, hopefully it'll be me and Robert and we'll have insight from coaches and from the athletes. We'll give you the scoop on the course, all that good stuff. All right, good. Can I turn this back about me, John? Absolutely. So, well, before I get to this in all seriousness, what I'm about to say and what I published last week with, I, I published a guest column with Mara Yamauchi on the website about how, we do not believe there should be a transgender, excuse me, a non-binary professional division in sports. And before I talk about this, I don't do this out of position of hate. After I published the article, someone called me up. I think they were trans. They were very upset. We had a great conversation. They're like, wow, I thought you were going to be totally different. I really enjoy talking to you. And they're debating coming on the podcast. So if you'd like to talk to me about this, I'd be happy to talk to you. 844 844- Five three eight seven seven eight six. But after talking about this for a long time, a number of weeks, ranting about this stuff, I said I wanted to try to make an impact before this becomes widespread. Like, so I tried to get something published in the New York Times. I tried to get something published in the in the Wall Street Journal. I thought nobody would publish it if just a white male was publishing it. So I reached out to very prominent female uh, marathoners, and one wrote back, loved what I was t- proposing but said, hey, I'm not going to lose significant endorsements, any more significant endorsements. So that's how it is. We live in a world where people are scared to say what they believe because they're afraid people are going to come after them. But Mari Yamauchi is fearless. She's sixth in the Olympics in the 2008 Olympic marathon, like London marathon runner-up. And she's already been vocal on the trans issue, so I thought she would be willing to stand up, put her name on the line. And the non-binary issue. She wrote the we co-wrote the article. Um, she was actually more forceful than I was. Like I was just going to make it just about the prize money. She doesn't even believe the category should exist at all. But we published it. I was hoping to get some viral sensation. It did get picked up by Google. You know, I was hoping to get over a hundred thousand views and let's run. Didn't get that, but way more than a normal article, like five times as much. So I like to think I made some impact. Um, I was very pleased that Martina Navratilova, one of the great. Well, I can't see LGBTQIA 
icons. But one of the great LGB icons back in the 80s when it was just LGB, she was at the forefront of acceptance for the lesbians across the globe. I mean, she's a fantastic tennis player, whatever, and she doesn't think that trans athletes should be competing. She saw our article. She typed up her own response to it and tweeted it out to her hundreds of thousands of followers. So I really appreciated that. I appreciated her support. If she sees the sanity of this, I think I hope that other people will too. And kind of that whole divide between the TQIA part of the LGBTQ movement kind of reminds me of the African versus black schism in the American civil rights movement. But anyways, I was glad that I published it. But I was disappointed in you, Jonathan. Jonathan did not even include it in our weekly newsletter on Friday. I guess John didn't want to be having his friends realize that I wrote this article. John, do you have anything to say for yourself? I just, I don't know. I feel like you've made this, you've already made this such a much bigger deal than I think it is. I think this is a relatively minor issue in our sport. I'm kind of annoyed that we're talking about it on a podcast again. Look, should there be a non-binary category that's paying out prize money at these pro road races probably not because i feel like we divide the categories based on sex not by gender and in that case you should probably just have a, a male and female or even a open and female divisions because you know we talked about the whole intersex debate ad nauseum on this podcast so i don't know i just felt like we were already kind of ramming this down people's throats it's not a massive deal in the whole realm of professional running. So that's kind of why I left it out. But but to, to me, it is a massive deal because they don't understand what elite sport is and why it's elite and why we should be promoting the elites. And this is the NYRR. And also, I think the facts should matter. Like, we don't have a Protestant or a Catholic division. We don't have a black or a white division. We only have divisions that impact your athletic ability. And the fact that the NYR doesn't recognize this is disturbing to me. And like we live in an era where facts don't matter. Donald Trump, facts don't matter to him or a lot of his supporters. Like, and, but when it comes from the left, people are like, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, a man can have a baby. No big deal. I think it's, I think you can't have a society where facts are, don't exist. So to me, it is even bigger than this, but you know, whatever. John, well, I don't think this will go very far, but the New York Roadrunners for smaller races has equalized the prize money between these divisions. Have they done it for all of their races? I know they did it for like one or two. Your smaller local races. Every single equal race prize equalized money. the prize yes. money. I do agree. I think that is a big deal. Ridiculous. When the biggest, the biggest road running organization with the most prestige in the United States is doing this. But I think ultimately it would be called out because basing sports on how you identify, it's not reality. And people are free to identify how they want. You know, if there's thousands of genders, there's really two sexes and science like that will win out and that's how sports should be done. But like, otherwise, I think people would just start identifying as non-binary males to win the prize money. I think that's where we would end up. For a while, this article, this is interesting, like Twitter, if you click through, said, flagged it and said essentially this article, and it was the same thing. They have, it's weird that they have the same label for spam and also unsafe. But acting like this was unsafe. That article was well written. It was not unsafe to anyone. And the good news report is I see now when I click through, it's not flagged anymore. So enough people spoke out. So hopefully 
we can get to a point where people can disagree about something and do it and, and do it respectfully. So Robert, I would love for you to have the, the person you were talking about on the podcast and they may, may disagree with us to tell us why Robert's wrong. But like the reality is people who are, uh, I mean, this is more of a societal issue, but like people who are non-binary, they're still either male or female. Let's ignore the intersex for a second. And that's reality. And I, I think not, 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 if we forget that we're not, we're not teaching people the real world, but that's a separate issue apart from sport, but it comes into sport because what sex you are determines by and large, how you can do it at the top level of sport. So, right. I think maybe we just need to reframe this for across the professional sports is that they are sex categories, not gender. And we're used to saying men's and women's, well, those are gender. Maybe we should just be saying male and female for everything because Look, I can sympathize. I'm sure these non-binary people, they've been misgendered through their life. They struggle for acceptance from some groups in their everyday life. But in running, look, they're totally welcome to compete, but you're not competing based on the gender. We compete based on the sex, and that should be that. I just don't understand why we are obsessing about gender at all. I would like to get rid of gender. We should have your name, and then very rarely your sex. I can hate when I sign up for a flight. They want to know your 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 gender. Why? And Mrs. Miss MX. It's like, no. And I'm fine with the gender neutral bathrooms. So I'm not some crazy person. I just, I think like we're dividing people into so many groups now instead of coming together as one. We were getting near people. Oh, don't say this, Rojo. We were getting near a colorblind society. Like interracial marriage, interracial, we had a, a black president. And now we're just like, okay, what, what niche are you? Oh, you don't have enough DNA, though, though. You're not really a Native American, so you can't run for president as a Native American, even though you are a Native American. Anyways, I right, did this text is the a friend warning. of mine. This is the warning I that a friend we are of going towards the off not, the rails we're, right we're now. Not going we need off to redirect this back to a running discussion. Is I this did text related, a friend. Robert? I texted a friend who totally disagrees with me on this issue. <laughs> I said, what did you think of the article? They said, I think the NYR made the right call. The death is nowhere equal to the elite level, so it doesn't make sense for the prize dollars to be equal, but it seems completely valid for me to invest $15,000 in a statement of values and inclusion. It's more analogous to me to having NYRR member prize money. It's not really about the elite races at all. It's NYR investing in its community marketing side. That that makes sense. But then for the smaller races, don't it make it equal prize money? If they want to have a second category for I identify, I think it has nothing to do with sport to show people are welcome. Go right ahead. But the NYR, I think of them first and foremost is about elite sport. And, and I think about elite running. So I don't think that the wheelchairs need equal prize money. I, I would love to see the runners paid a lot more than the wheelchair runners. I think we agree with that. But if they want to make statements, symbolic statements, go ahead. But enough of that. Yeah, I can't believe how much time we we spent on this article just talking about this article on this podcast like two weeks after it was published but yes if you want to read it you can learn more can we go back two to weeks. running stuff John it was published last week Martina Navratilova this is one of the most popular articles on the website well, it was the most popular I think last week so I don't think it's clearly hitting a vibe with people John I'm sure it is but I guess I don't know my response the feedback I've heard from some of our listeners and I guess email me at jonathan gold at let's run.com 
do you like it when we talk about this stuff on the podcast or would you rather us just focus really on the elite side of the sport? The feedback I've received is less about this trans non-binary intersex topics that we happen to go down the rabbit hole on the last couple of years. But anyway, elite side of the sport, I was in Boston. I live in Boston. I was at Franklin Park on Sunday for the BAA half marathon. There are a couple reasons I went there. One, we had the, the Notre Dame Mollies. We're back on the scene. Molly Huddle, her first half marathon since giving birth in April. Molly Seidel, her first run, her first race period since her DNF at the Boston Marathon in April. They were both running this race. And then on the men's side, Tashomi Mekkanen, who just got his U.S. citizenship in August. He's a 6002 guy. He's from the Tigray region of Ethiopia originally. He's been living in the U.S. the last two and a half years permanently. He was running his first race as an American. He finished fourth overall, 62-28. The winners were Jeffrey Kowach, 62-02. Viola Chepengano of Kenya, 70-40. You know, the, the times were kind of slow because it was rainy. It's a bit of a hilly course. But I think from our listenership, the more interesting storylines are Mekadon, his arrival on the U.S. scene. What does it mean for the 2024 Olympic marathon trials? And then... Molly Huddle and Molly Seidel on their comebacks. What would you like to talk about first, Robert? Or Robert? I want to talk about Mekadin. This is a big deal. This guy's an American now. And well, can I quibble with you guys? You guys are just the American star you've never heard about. I disagree. No one's a star if I've never heard of him. He's had some good performances. He's not a star yet. But I guess if he runs... I don't know, is Shadrach Scherzer a star because he ran faster than him in a half marathon this year? I mean, he beat Connor Mance by a minute at the NYC half early this year. Mekinen did. So oh. I agree he's not a star yet. Well, then, he's unsponsored. I talked to his wife, his agent, Faven Alem. She essentially said the shoe companies are just kind of waiting to see a little bit more before he gets a deal. But clearly, he's got a lot of potential. He's only 27 years, years old officially. They said, I think they're not certain about his exact birth date, but that's sort of what he was given when he got his passport. But yeah, he's, he's a huge talent. He could develop into a star. 60.02, only four Americans have ever run faster than that in a half marathon. So the potential is there, but who's ahead of him on the list? Well, Leonard Courier is one of the guys who's run faster than him. Leonard Courier did not make the Olympic team last time out. So Robert had in his intro... I changed this when I was doing the intro to our show. Robert had bad news for the likes of Connor Mance and Scott Farble and any other potential U.S. Olympian as their Olympic spots or their chances of an Olympic spot just went down a lot. I'm not sure if I would say a lot. We This guy's run two career marathons. He's never broken 213. But potentially, he could be a 208 guy. That's what he's shooting for at the Houston Marathon. I just think we need to see a little bit more from him in the marathon before we say, oh, everyone else's chances went way down. I agree with you, John. Is there, we need to have a rewind sound so I can take back what I said. If he's a minute faster than Connor Mance in the half marathon, it's pretty good. Star is a term perhaps we should use more sparingly. And, but in today's era, so he's, has, he's run two marathons and 213 is his fastest. But I feel like people figure out that you can figure out how to run a 208 today pretty easily. Not easily is the right word, but 
I don't, I think he'll figure out the marathon, but if you're, you know, 208 guy in a good day, you're not a walk to make the US marathon team. You got a good shot. The way I see it, we have two guys this who've run this full who I would pick right now to make the team ahead of it. Connor Mance and Scott Fobble. And Galen Rupp, if he's healthy, I'd, I'd like Galen Rupp's chances ahead of him as well. They haven't run quite as fast in the half marathon. The Rupp has actually run faster. But they've shown they can go out and run 208. Scott Fobble, very, very consistent marathon. Connor Mance hasn't really had any bad races, and he had a good marathon debut. Mekinen has the talent, absolutely. I just like to see it in the marathon first before I say, oh, he's got a better shot than Fable or Mance. Wait, 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 wait. We got an Olympic trials in February, John. Who are you picking as your first American if we had one this year? In February of 2023, the top yeah. American on a flat, what, on the Orlando course? I, yep. Yeah. I think I'm taking Mance. Wow. Galen, I got your back. Still got your back. Galen can't finish a marathon right now. He can't finish a marathon when he tries to win it, John, at the elite level, instead of running with the C team with the, with the rest of the Americans. Like, look, maybe I overstated the, their odds. I was thinking their odds were going way down. I'm like, there's only like legitimately like five guys that are going to make the Olympic team. And then, you know, you, you add one of these guys down, their odds go down by like 20%. But maybe it's not. If there's like 10 guys that can make the Olympics and you're, you're – Three of them make it. And now there's 11 guys that can make the Olympics. Your odds didn't go down that much. But they went down close to 10%, which is substantial. Look, this guy has not run a good marathon yet, but he's run 60.02. Even this weekend's performance, I think, is equivalent to about 60.30. The guy that won just ran 60 flat last month in his last race. The guy that finished behind him just ran 61.01 in his last race. So... He was in between those two. He's in the 60-30 shape right now. I agree. So how many Americans can run 60-30? I don't think Scott Bobble can do that. Doesn't matter, but we're not running the half marathon of the trials. Well, so what? The key is this guy is haphazardly training, has kids, doesn't have an income source. He needs to be getting paid $200,000 a year, like these other guys are, and let him train full-time. Weldon's laughing when I say that, but if... I always bring up the Waleed Suleiman. If that bull Miss Myler, actually, I heard he got six hundred over $100,000 a year. If he's getting $100,000 a year, this guy being an immigrant, being an Olympic hopeful in the marathon, in our love of diversity, he deserves at least 150000 a year, if not two hundred. So, now the problem is he doesn't have a coach. He used to be coached by Hadili. He self-coached. John, I've got the perfect solution. I've been looking for the person to coach. John oh, Kellogg and I. Hold on. I'm just trying to think. The, John Kellogg and I can coach him. John Kellogg and I can coach him. Admittedly, John Kellogg's plan has never worked on Weldon Johnson's marathon, but this is a legitimate talent. So we coach him. Plus, we can do Zoom calls to work on his English because I heard he wants to do that, right? Work on his English. So I'll talk to him. Hell, he can coach himself, but I just want to supervise it. Like, no, that's a mistake. You change that. You need someone to look overlook your stuff. Like, yeah, I'll definitely pitch it to him. This is this is Robert Jones. Wait, what was the Cornell men? What was your best finish at Hebs Cross Country when you were there, Robert? What do you mean, John? We did you ever finish second? Yes, we did. And I was part of the greatest dynasty in Ivy League track and field history. Built on the backs of the sprint team, apparently, because you never won at Hebs and Cross. Go ahead, John. Go ahead. I'm John. just, 
I'm just saying, please give me the wife's name. Please give me the wife's name. I'm going to offer my services. Okay. Your, your brilliant you idea, much. whenever you come on, you say, I know who should be coaching this person. It's never one of the dozens of professional coaches in this country or college coaches who have had success have you not with athletes right you now. It, it, it's always you. It blows my mind that you watch race after race and runner after runner and don't realize this. Like, who the hell had Joe Bossard coached before he got these girls? When all the top Wetmore athletes quit Wetmore and joined to go went to Joe Bessard, guess what? They won. A, they won. Who did Jenny Simpson win a world title for? Was it Mark Wetmore? No. Was it was it Joe Bossard? No. It was Julie Simpson. Who else did she ever coach? Julie Benson. Julie Benson. Excuse me, Julie Henner, who became Julie Benson. Yeah. All right, so Robert, in that case. If the coach isn't important, why does it matter if they train with you or someone else? Everyone is just going to achieve whatever level of results they achieve based on their natural talent. The coach doesn't mean anything, so why would they pay you to coach them? I don't want him to pay me. I'll just I'll poach. I would actually put it on the supporters club, but Weldon's right. Why should I give away the secrets on the message board? And I'm not really going to be coaching him. I'm going to be supervising John Kellogg. John Kellogg, I've always explained this. Go watch Rain Man. John Kellogg is... Dustin Hoffman, I am Tom Cruise. You need someone to, to make John Kellogg, you know, I know, smooth. I'm so a little bit surprised here that Weldon Johnson hasn't jumped in here. Who is John Kellogg? Well, so let me be clear. I won't really be coaching. I'll be supervising. So like much like I did at Cornell, I was the general manager. And don't say that's not coaching because Jason Sretsky, the Harvard track and field director, doesn't coach. He supervises the other coaches. That's a fact. So who who has John Kellogg ever coached? He's coached Weldon Johnson, and he didn't have any good pros until he had Weldon. And then, oh, my God, Weldon went from 30-13 to 28-06. When you know running, you can coach anyone. We've coached two randos on the internet. Some guy was hoping his A goal was like, what, 257 in the marathon? He ran 249, or what was it? I don't even remember what it was. It was ridiculous. So if this guy still has it, it's not too old, and can really focus and train to the high-low, I think he'll be on the Olympic team over Scott Fobble. I'm surprised, John is going on this with the Jeff Monday guy, Jeff Saturday guy, Saturday, Jeff Monday. This guy is great. I, I, I just saw some clip. I didn't know his backstory. I just saw this guy. He's like, I don't care. I know inspire man. I was like, who is this guy? And then I read the whole controversy. For those you don't know, there was this guy. He used to be, I think a lineman for the Indianapolis Colts. And I guess he's drinking buddies with the owner and they fired the old coach. And this guy previously been a high school coach a couple of times. So that's it. They, he was offered an assistant job with the Indianapolis Colts. And he said, no, no, I'm too busy with my family, which I applaud. But now midseason, they fired their coach and said, can you be the interim coach this year? And he said, yes. And it's just outrage from all the talking heads. Like, this is a disgrace to the profession. This is a former NFL player. What did he do? He went out and he's undefeated this year. He got the win. He's 1-0. This just shows, Robert, if you get in there, you coach this guy up, who knows? Robert and John could have an entire U.S. Olympic team at this rate. You go do it, Robert. You'll pay. You, here's what you have to do. You have to turn the turn, flip the flip the coin. You have to pay him to coach him. But I'm giving him free English lessons and pay him. Okay, the Jeff Saturday thing is fascinating because we have unqualified people named NBA coaches all the time. Guys that have no coaching experience, zero. Magic Johnson, Steve Nash, etc. No one had a problem with that. For some reason, the guy in the NFL gets the job and they freak out. So, by the way, he is Oh, undefeated. good point. They always hire, like, 
Steve Nash had coached nobody, right? And he's bringing him in to coach and no problem. Well, I think they view the NFL as so game plan and strategic heavy that you need to have someone who has been grinding tape and knows all the schemes and everything more than the NBA where they're, you know, they have plays, but there's not like literally every play in the NFL is a, is a play. Like you need to have a play every time you go to the line of scrimmage. Basketball, sometimes you can just go up and say, hey, LeBron, you know, free wheel or whatever. I don't think Bill Belichick calls these guys. Belichick he, is- well, he doesn't call There's the plays, but he oversees the installation. Like, yes, you have us. And that's the other thing. Like, yes, the head coach, they're not always defining all the plays. But like, I don't know. There's just, I think it's viewed that the NFL head coach style, there's more grinding and film study than in And also the idea of to sleep in the office and shit, all this other stuff. How about less is more? I've never seen no proof that the more hours you spend at the office in the NFL, you're a better coach. Like, what if you took, you said, hey, we take a flash approach, four hours of tape, whatever, then we're going to go out and get the baskets and camaraderie with the team. I just, I just haven't seen it that, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's I, I will hope this guy does great for whatever reason. I just like to shake up the apple cart. And then NBA, 17 coaches, I think, have become NBA head coaches without prior coaching experience. I mean, here's the list. Just recently, Steve Nash, Derek Fisher, Steve Kerr, Jason Kidd, Mark Jackson, Benito Negro, Kevin McHale, Isaiah Thomas, Doc Rivers, Larry Bird, ML Carr, Magic Johnson. Well, for the record, I don't want to say I think Robert's a bad coach. I, I, you know, I respect what you accomplished at Cornell. It's very hard to win a Haps cross-country title. So Harvard still has Alex Gibby's there. He still hasn't done it on the men's side, even though they've had some great teams. It's, it can be tough. So I'm not trying to badmouth you, Robert. I just find it amusing that your solution for every athlete is that they should immediately be coached by you. But I wish you best of luck in your coaching endeavors. I think it, John's just getting ready. I think he knows his time's winding down here. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. At letsrun.com? Yeah. Friday. Next Friday. Oh, yeah. Black Friday. England versus USA. We'll, we'll get do, into John? that on the John, podcast. John, should we have a bet? I guess we can set up for next week's podcast. But we just got to get out there. The bet... I think resignation might be. Dude, I'm just throwing it out there. Is it- I don't want to resign. I like my job. But the shame. I don't want to, like, the shame. I just don't know how you could look at us and stuff. Like, it, I'm, it'll be so crushing for you. It's just. It would be. Sh- I mean, the shame is I'd have to come on the podcast the next week and talk about it with you guys. I mean, this isn't just like, it's not like Brighton losing to Crystal Palace, which, by the way, was still ahead of them in the table. We finished ahead of them in the table last year. You know, great season so far for the Albion. But. Yeah, we just I'd have to come on the pod every week and that's just a trump card. You'd have dangling over my head probably for the rest of my life. When's the next time England and the US are going to play in a World Cup? The only, like the only way that that will go away is if the US beats England, but then we win this World Cup. If we do that, then I'm like, I don't care what happened. Group stage doesn't matter. We won the World Cup, you know. But if any other outcome, I think just living with it would be punishment enough, but I'm happy to come up with some sort of friendly wager. We can think about it before next week's podcast for what happens. And I just checked the schedule. So the U.S. and England play next Friday, Black Friday. We usually record the podcast on Tuesday. The next game after that is on Tuesday at like 2 p.m., which usually is right after the podcast. If the USA wins, we'll, of course, rush the podcast out early on Monday so we can gloat real quickly. If the USA loses... We'll push the podcast to Wednesday and record after the Iranian game. Oh, after you guys get eliminated from the group stage? You sure? You, that's that's risky, Well, then You're taking a risk there. 
Oh man. Thank goodness that the World Cup is taking place. Like, I don't like that it's a winter World Cup, but it is a bit of a down point on the running calendar, apart from the Valencia half the Valencia Marathon. I'll be in Valencia for that. But it's you know, it's nice that we're not competing against Diamond League, so that sort of thing. So yeah. Let's go back to the BAA half marathon. We mentioned Molly Seidel ran this race. Now, her result, not anything to write home about. She ran 76-22. That is a lot slower than her full marathon pace. She was only 16th in the elite field. But coming away, she was in pretty good spirits. She said this was the best place she's been in mentally and physically for a long time. She's healthy. She's training again. She's running 110 miles a week. I mean... There are some people on the message boards like, oh, Seidel, she's done. This is a terrible result. Why is she even going out there and racing? To me, I'm like, this is just step one in her comeback. She needed to see where she's at fitness-wise. She got a race in. That gives her confidence that she can make it through the entire race. Did she run fast? No, but she's a heck of a lot. She's a long way away from where she's going to be once she's got that training under her belt. We know how good she can be when she's healthy and she's got all the, the training and when her mental health is in the right spot. I walked away. I was like, okay, she finished the race. Step, step one completed. Move on to the next one. What do you make of this result for her, Weldon? Yeah, this talk she's done, get away from it. If I'm not mistaken, last year she was the Olympic bronze medalist in the marathon. Yes. She is a tremendous talent. That shocked me that she did that well, but her upside is like off the charts. It's a, that it's an upside that not many Americans have at all, or maybe none right now. I don't know. I probably can think of some, but she's been throughout her career. She's been she at NCA after NCAs. People would have said she's done. She struggles with her mental health, eating disorders, that sort of stuff. I'm hoping the best for her, but I expect I, I expect good things for her from running. If it doesn't happen, I could care less. Like Olympic bronze medal, check. She wins, check. Like sharing her experience, check. I don't know. She's. I feel like she's a bright force in the sport. Um. John likes pretty much can't be fans. I. I'm rooting for her. Well, I root for. I want Americans to do well in general because it's good for business. But just in general, like. She's very real. She shares these experiences. I don't know. I, I, I'm not putting any stock in this race. Although you guys have clearly dismissed John. She said it's her first race since Boston. No, 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 John. She ran that trail race. Remember? She ran it. I thought she just went there as a fan. No, she like walked it or something. She was in the results. Okay. Well, like a 50 yeah. miler or something. What was it? Something crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm ignoring that. Yeah. But I, I anyone, I'm not going to overreact to, a bad, you know, a slow race in bad conditions, which she probably knew she wasn't in shape to do anything that fast anyway. So the one thing I did find interesting is she said that she hadn't started running training seriously until the start of October. And then she had an Achilles because she had a sacral stress fracture. That's why she had to withdraw from Worlds, one of the reasons. And then she said she had a bit of an Achilles issue. So that hampered her training. She was doing a lot of cross training. But then she said she's done 110 miles the last couple of weeks. And I was like, wow, you got up to speed quickly. And she's like, yeah, I'm like a, a raw steak. You just throw it on the grill and, you know, 
brown it right up. Do you find that interesting that she's going from very, very little to like almost full training right away? Do I find it interesting, John? It's not the word she used earlier. Like, this is nuts or something along those lines. Eh, it seems kind of crazy to me, but I can't tell someone how to train. Elite runners, athletes, probably in all sports, but you're constantly sort of pushing up against that line, right? And I think Molly would say she probably crossed it a bunch of times. So it's just, if she's healthy and feels like she can run 110 miles a week, it sounds crazy. The person doesn't run that much. You know, meanwhile, I haven't run 10 miles in three weeks, but when I used to run 110 miles a week, I could see how you could do it. Probably. Wait, she wasn't running in October. She started running. I think she started training again at the start of October, but it sounds like it was mostly cross training. I'm checking the calendar here. That sounds nuts. Like that seems too quick to me, but I would go more the partner Valby thing. But I used to joke. I'm glad they haven't running isn't swimming. Cause you can swim for like six hours a day. I hope they don't find out that it's better to cross train for like four hours a day and run very little because oh, man, the drudgery of the sport would really oh, suck. Yeah. No, one of the nice things about running is the training you can do with someone staying next to you and you can talk for some of these runs. It's, it's much better than swimming where you're just following a line on the pool. But yeah, all right. Well, her, her return to full training. Yes, if that was me, I would never do it. But all runners are different. If there's anything we've learned from covering this sport is everyone responds to training differently. Some of them can run incredible results like Parker Valby or Natalie Cook off of just tra- cross-training. Some of them can go from zero to 60 immediately. Molly Seidel and Jonathan Green know Molly and her training and her body a hell of a lot better than I do. So they've had pretty good results so far. I think it's kind of wild, but that's what they're going to do. I mean, they know her training better than I do. But yeah, from Alpine, from my perspective, it is a little strange. I also wanted to mention Molly's huddle. So she gave birth in April, and she ran the BAA half marathon as well. She finished a little further up, 73-29 for 12th place. Again, nothing fantastic. Remember, this is a woman who's run in the 67-minute range at her prime. But this is someone else. Again, I wasn't expecting a top tip-top result. She's still working her way back into top shape. She said she's running Houston in January in the half marathon and is hoping for something quite a bit faster. So like she's not, you know, 100% ready to make it the full distance. She was expecting it would hurt quite a lot after 10 miles, and that's what happened. So, you know, more training, more miles between now and January. She'll probably be able to make it strong through the entire race. But it got me to thinking, I'm like, what do we expect from Molly Huddle when she is back to, you know, what, what can she achieve? at this point in her career. I was talking to her. She still thinks she can PR in the marathon, which I think is pretty reasonable. Her PR is 226. She ran that in New York. So if she gets on a fast course, can she run faster than 226? Yeah, I absolutely believe that. But then I was asking her about, you know, do you think you can make the Olympic marathon team in 2024? She kind of hesitated. She was just like, well, there are a lot of variables in the marathon, so she wouldn't count herself out. But, she kind of suggested, and I agree with this, is like she wouldn't be among the favorites. She needs to catch some breaks. And that's the way I see it as well. She was a good marathoner before, but her best race came in, you know, in New York on a challenging course. 
but she hadn't really reached that potential that we all thought she might, given her prowess in the 5K, the 10K, the half marathon. And now she's coming back. She's going to be 39 by the time of the trial. She's had a kid. I know we've seen women run well after giving birth, but I'm just a little less optimistic about her given she didn't have a ton of like crazy, crazy good performances before she gave birth. So I don't know. I think I see her in the same spot. I'd put her sort of as a fringe contender for the 2024 trials, but I wouldn't really see her close to someone like Emily Sisson or Molly Seidel. Well, John just said Molly Huddle didn't have a lot of good performances before she gave birth. Hmm. In the marathon. Hmm. Take that out of context, put that in social media, you're gone. Um, it's crazy because I'm like, she said nothing in the marathon. She was third at the New York City Marathon, but New York can kind of be weird some years, right? That was a week. That was 2016, Olympic year. That was not like a, I mean, that wasn't a great, f- the year, ne- the next year, I think was actually better when she got fourth in 2018, 226. That was a good marathon performance. But even now looking back on her, I'm like, those are both better performances than I think she's done in the marathon. I just sort of dismiss her. And sounds like she's being very honest with you because I, I don't ex- I expect way more things from Molly Seidel. Well, obviously, her career can be a little longer because she's younger than Molly Huddle going forward. I expect Seidel to be a factor. And if Molly Huddle is, I'd be surprised. I think she's going to have some good performances, but I, I'm not expecting a lot from her. Um, you know, maybe she can go out and prove us wrong. Or as she said, if those things all go right for her and, you know, sneak on that Olympic team or something. I think the, the track is over, so it'll be interesting. All right. And then the one other thing I wanted to hit before we leave, World Athletics came out with its finalists for the World Athlete of the Year Award. Yes, John, I've been voting. Yeah, you voted. I, I don't know if you were part of the media fan, panel, if your vote was tabulated as just a fan vote. Like, can you explain? Did the World Athletics, do they like you more than me? How did you end up voting for this thing, Weldon? I just thought all prominent media voted on these things. You get an email and you just go vote. And a lot of years, I, I, like from USATF, like if you voted for the Jesse Owens Award, and I'm, I forget. I'm just like, well, it doesn't really matter. But for this one, I somehow voted because I remembered... Like John, check your email. The email here is from outbound.research.net. I don't think I got that. So it's very official, so you don't you know cheat the system. But I was sort of shocked when I voted because the way the voting was done, John, you didn't vote for one athlete of the year, and I wonder if this could skew the results. You voted for three athletes of the year. All way, but like one, two, three, right? No, no, no. They had a list, and you just picked three. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I feel like that's not fair, right? Because you might get some crossover. Like a lot of people somehow could relate to their, like the third choice, but they have different first choices for some reason. I I didn't like it either. Why would they do that? That's just moronic. Okay. Some stats guys email us. Because also, here's the thing about some of these debates. On the men's side, I think there's a very clear top two. It's either Mondo Duplantis or Elliot Kipchoge. And... If those two are both, everyone, pretty much everyone who's a track fan should have both of them on their ballots. So then the athlete of the year is going to come down to which idiots left them off the ballot the most? That makes zero sense. No, it should be, I mean, I don't know. I'm not getting, I, 
Are we sure this is how the votes are tabulated? This sounds like a very silly way of crowning a champion. Wait, the more I think about it, John, that, that 100% explains it. It's like you have a Hall of Fame ballot and everybody puts the person on and one person leaves them off. Okay, we got to email them. And I swear, because I, I looked into it today and they explained, they're like, we had a top three voting. So it's 50% World Athletics Council, I think. 25% like media and special people and 25% fans. But you're totally right. This is a nonsensical way to vote. It makes no sense. Yeah, I think the the social media you just like retweet the thing or something like that, and that's I don't think you can do that. For, well, maybe you can do it for multiple people. Who knows? But so maybe that's what's gonna come down to who got the most retweets. Let's come down. Let's talk about the candidates here. Who did you vote for, Weldon, and who? How would you rank them? Okay, let's stick with the men because you said there's a cl- clear top two: Kipchoge and Duplantis, and the four finalists were announced today. Five finalists. One, two, three. I guess I I copied and pasted them here, but I'm missing one then. I have El Bacali as well and Jakob Ingerbrutsen, in addition to Kipchoge and Duplantis. Who's the fifth person? Noah Lyles. Oh, so I must have just copied it wrong because I was about to say the third person I voted for isn't even on the list. How can he not be on there? Noah Lyles was my third choice. Yeah, I would have I would have Lyle Stud, uh, and then it's it's very tight between Kipchoge and Ingebrigs. Sorry, Kipchoge and Duplantis because Kipchoge did everything you could ask for. He ran two hundred two forty in Tokyo to win that, and then he won the Berlin Marathon in a world record of two hundred one hundred nine. So he had the two fastest marathon times of the year. He broke his own world record by thirty seconds. You know, you could ask him to run three marathons a year, but I feel like two is fairly accepted. That's always what he does. I don't think he really could have done any better apart from breaking the world record twice. And that's such a thing, hard thing to ask. But then on this, on the other hand, Mondo, what else could he have done? He lost once all year. So that's the one blemish, but he was the world champion indoors and outdoors. He broke the world record three times, six, one, nine, six, two, Oh, and then six, two, one. And he broke the world record at the world indoor championships. And he broke the world record at the world outdoor championships. And it was super dramatic. It was awesome to watch. How could he have... I guess he could have... If he got undefeated, maybe you say that's the one thing he has to improve upon, but... I don't know. I'm going with Mondo. He just... It's hard to say, oh, Kipchoge should have competed more, but Mondo was just so good and so dominant the entire season. And breaking the world record, world indoors, world outdoors, that's enough for him to get the slight nod in my mind. Well, that's the beauty of it. I started to vote, and they said, pick your three. And I just was like, okay, one, two, three. I didn't have to break the ties. You do now. The Let's Run.com, we don't allow cop-outs on this podcast, Weldon. You need to pick a side, Team Mondo or Team Kipchoge. Like, who sits around and comes up with this idea? Here's how we should vote. And no one pointed out, like, wait, everyone's going to vote for these two people. Like, it's like, who sat around? It's like, you know what? We need non-binary prize money. Of all the things wrong in the world in the sport of running, let's add non-binary prize money. Well, then this might be a participation trophy lobbed in your direction. They want to make you feel as if you have an outcome on the vote, but you don't really. And everyone else, the way that everyone else votes, they actually get to rank them. So maybe it's just you that they're trying to placate. Who do I vote for? Um, I'm so sick of this, the Kipchoge thing. 
but I kind of, I think he deserves it, but he's done it before. So is it like, is it, is it that amazing? I mean, Mondo has broken the world record before. I know, but he did it with both world championships. I think both world championships does it for me. Kipchoge is going to hurt based on greatness. If he gotten sub 201, maybe I give it to him. Mondo Duplantis, athlete of the year. All right. What about the women's side? So the women's side, the finalists are Toby Emerson, who world 100-meter champion and world record holder, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, who had arguably the greatest 100-meter season ever with 10.627 sub 10.7 world champion, Kimberly Garcia, who I promised you, John, I would not have known that name until now. So I read it, you know, I just don't think I, I – totally black blank out the race walks. I clearly had seen in Wikipedia that she'd won the 20 K and 35 K championships. So she got the double, but I'll probably, maybe I'll remember her name next time. Sydney McLaughlin, who, well, she's Sydney 5140. Oh, excuse me. They listed her as Sydney McLaughlin on the well athletics website. They didn't call her Sydney McLaughlin Laverone. I thought that's what we were all calling her now. Wait a second. This is sick. It says broke the world record with a 5141 at the US Championships. Is that right? And then further improved the record to 50.68. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal when this happened. Well, then I'm surprised you don't remember this. She smashed the world record at the World Championships. That much? 0.8 again? Yes. Point, almost 0.8? Okay, when you just see it presented like this, this is easy. Or Yomar Rojas, who won indoor and outdoor triple jumps and broke the world record, 1574. So when I did the three-way voting, let's see here. I did Amazon, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, and Sydney. Would you have the same three, John? I would sub in Rojas for Amazon. Amazon lost a bunch during the season and know that she, we ran out of her mind at the world championships. Like the time she ran in the semi and the final were crazy, but looking at her defeat, she, she lost to Mount Sack. She lost to Drake. She lost to Doha. She lost at pre. She lost to big gosh. She lost at Stockholm. She lost at uh, Lausanne. That's just too many defeats for me. Whereas Rojas was just undisputed the best in her event and she broke the world record this year. Yeah, but she did run twelve twelve, John, which made Michael Johnson assume something was wrong with the timing. Me 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 too, Weldon. Me too. And hey, Michael Johnson's a guy. I was there, nineteen ninety six Olympics. I thought something was wrong with the timing there. That one too. It's just like something's wrong. So it's I it's kind of with Kipchoge, same thing. I'm like, wait, Sydney's already done this. Let's not, we can't vote for her again. She's hurt by her own greatness in the past. But no, like, I got to go back and look at what the rule record was before they started breaking this. She went from 5141 to 5068. I don't care. Wait, we said we're not going to reward this. This is it. This is the last year. After this year, you race twice or something. Three? She ran three legitimate 400 meter hurdle races or four? She ran four. But one of them was where the race, the hurdles were misplaced. 
No, you got to no do more care. next that year. Time counts officially. If she skips diamond leagues and stuff like that. She's out. No voting. It needs to be established going forward. You actually need to compete. It's a body of work. But for this year, I'm going Sydney. I don't blame anyone who votes Sydney. I think her 56A is one of the greatest performances in the history of track and field. I think I'm going Shelly Ann Fraser Price for Athlete of the Year, though, because she competed a ton. She ran seven of the 19 fastest times in history. And a number of those times, like that includes Flojo times, which is very suspicious, it includes Marion Jones times. Like just running 10 6 week in and week out. What she did that sh- that shouldn't she normalized it somehow. It, w- it was absolutely incredible. I've never seen a sprinter be that dominant, you know, running consistently that far. Oh, sorry, that's not totally true. I've seen a sprinter be that dominant, but I can't remember a sprinter with the consistent number of high level performances that she's had. And also, this is a marquee glory event. The 400 hurdles, like Sydney is a phenom, she's an absolute star, and it's become a lot better in recent years, but like. The women's hundred, you're getting the best of the best, right? This is a, where everyone starts out in the hundred. So maybe it's unfair to weigh one event a little bit more than another. But I just, I think I want to give her credit for competing more. Sydney was amazing, amazing when she did compete. But Shelly Ann raced the whole year and was still putting up historically great times, even though she didn't break the world record. So I think I'm going with the qual the quantity over the quality for this one. Thank you, John. You knocked some sanity to me because I'm pretty sure this got the thought process going back in my head. When I was going to vote and I thought I had to vote for one, actually, I was going to do Shelly Ann. But now just going through this list, I was just so shocked. I'm like, wait, she took 0.73 off the world record in one race. It's just so ridiculous. But no, that's the performance of the year. She's not the athlete of the year. Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. If you can compete four times, I'm sorry. You're not Athlete of the Year. She had the performance of the year. Athlete of the Year, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. I mean, Sydney's got to compete more. I want to see a thing. Mo competing more next year. It's what the sport needs. There's no regular season in our sport. People aren't penalized for doing it, but you can be penalized in the end-of-season rule awards. If you just go out and compete a couple times and have a great performance, that should be the performance of the year, not Athlete of the Year. All right, I like your way of dividing that. And I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. We've got our show coming up from Stillwater Friday or Saturday. Check back on the website to figure out you know, when we figure out exactly when that will be based on when we're allowed in the course, that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm really excited to that meet. Should be fantastic on Saturday morning. Tune in. Then after that, we got the World Cup kicking off on Sunday. It's a great time to be a sports fan, like I said at the top of the show. And you got the Jeopardy Tournament of Champions going on right now. I mean, I'm, I'm in heaven. Well, this is what a week for me. My wife's co-worker's Fiance was in that thing. Got eliminated though. Thank you. Want to cut something? Was it Tyler Road? Was that the guy? Well then, I thought based on your description that might have been him, but because he's from New York. Just double checking here. Yes, John, that is him. I did a quick Google. Wow, you know them like by name? Oh, I'm very into the Tournament of Champions. This is a great field, and you know, so he, he had to win well. five times to get in the Tournament of Champions. Five regular season games. I, he might have won more than that, but that's like the minimum required. And then he won the semi. He won his quarterfinal, and then he got into the semifinal. He lost to Amy Schneider, who's won forty games regular season. So, which 
She didn't make the final? No, Amy did make the final. Amy beat him to make the final. And some of these tournament champions, you got to be really good because some of them look like complete amateurs. Like they weren't buzzing in very often. Like the third place and the Tyler match was just, I was like, this person has won five in a row. No, they're all really good. The questions get harder, and you're also competing against two people who are very strong on the buzzer. So you might try to buzz in, but you're getting in behind them. You're going off against the best of the best, Walton. What if they randomize the buzzing? It'll be a different game. Well, I think, I don't know. Usually, my view as a Jeopardy watcher is usually the people who know the most uh, winning on the, I don't think the buzzer speed is usually the determining factor. I think the best, smartest people usually win. But when you get very, very high level, like the tournament champions, the first game they had on Monday, that one I think it did just come down to who found the daily doubles because all of them have very similar knowledge bases. So the very, very highest levels, buzzer speed comes into it and finding daily doubles. But in regular play, if you have the most knowledge, you're usually going to win that game. All right, John. You can have Monday off, John, to watch the World Cup. Just letting you know right now. I appreciate that uh, because I wasn't going to be getting anything done between 8 and 10 a.m. on Monday anyway. So, all right. Thanks, Walden. Talk to everyone next week. Hey, if you listen this far, you better be a Sporters Club member. If not, what are you waiting for? Join our club today. You got nothing to lose. You can cancel it anytime. If you're not a member, let me know why. Email me, weejoeatletsrun.com. But otherwise, sign up today. Maybe you need a discount. Use code CLUB25 to save 25% on your first year. Sign up for a year, you get a free t-shirt. These t-shirts are awesome. They're super soft. You can get a letsrun.com t-shirt or a 159.40 t-shirt. They're seriously, might be one of the best t-shirts you can own. But by joining today, you'll get a second podcast every week. The Friday 15 discounts and running shoes and you become part of the coolest club in running go to let's run.com slash subscribe link in the show notes thanks